Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Ultimately, I'm going to keep saying it. Get 1% better every day. Just get a little bit better every day. Hey, welcome. Stephen Holder. I'm here with Zach Kiefer, and we are back coming off the bye week, the Colts bye week, uh, for another episode of 1% Better. And so we told you we wouldn't leave you uh, deserted this bye week, and we want to make good on that promise, so we're here. Uh, and actually, there's Colts news, even though the Colts were in far-flung places over the weekend, hopefully enjoying a Mai Tai somewhere. Uh, they benefited greatly from the last uh, few days of football, particularly Sunday. You've got the Buffalo Bills losing. You've got the Colts, uh, excuse me, also the Bengals losing, and the Colts moving up to the sixth spot in the AFC playoff race with their seven spots now, as you might recall. So they're in it if the season ended today. Alas, it does not. And Zach... This upcoming game, I think, is going to go a long way toward determining whether they get in. It's not an all or nothing, but this Patriots game, I think, is a massive opportunity if the Colts want to get in the playoffs, and it also puts them in a really tough spot if they don't win this game. It puts the ratchets, the pressure up a whole bunch. So I guess what I'm saying is it's a big game, and you got some thoughts on that, don't you? Yeah, it's going to be the biggest they've played in, in I think, several years, at least mm-hmm. dating back to the 2018 playoffs. Um, Colts-Patriots, late December, a lot on the line. I love it. It feels like old times, and and it's going to be really fun, and I'm kind of writing about this this week, is is the head coaching matchup, right? Frank Reich and his offense, Bill Belichick and his top-rated defense. I mean, the Patriots, since week five, are only allowing 14.4 points per game. That's really good. That's number one in the league. On the other side, the Colts are scoring 32 points a game in that stretch. That's number one. So that's, for me, the number one matchup is is the offense of the Colts versus the defense of the Patriots. But what a Sunday for the Colts. I mean, you're sitting on your couch, and and you watch Buffalo lose, and you watch Cincinnati lose. The Colts jump from the eight seed all the way up to the six. There's five teams that are seven and six right now, including the Colts. The reason the Colts are in the top right now of that group is because they have the head-to-head over Buffalo, and they have a better AFC record, which is the second tiebreaker over Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Denver, none of which they will play this season. So there's no point in having a head-to-head there. It's strange because this year they have all the tiebreakers working in their favor as opposed to last year when they didn't. And, and the funny thing is that it's almost like they lost the right games, right? You don't want to lose any games, but if you're going to lose games, it's better to lose to NFC teams than AFC teams. So we'll see how all that plays out. There's no reason to freak out about the playoffs right now. They're in if it started today. That doesn't matter because they play the one seed in each conference in the next two weeks. Um, but this is a great test. And, and I had a chat with Coach Venturi, you know, who worked for Bill Belichick for years in Cleveland and is now the Colts radio analyst. And he said, look, if you can't play with the one seeds, then you don't belong in the playoffs. So hmm. um, I think the Colts are playing as well as they played all season. And it's time to see if they can hang with some of the best teams in the league. And not just hang with them, actually finish them off in the fourth quarter, maybe, for a change. 
Right. I mean, that's pretty much been uh, the difference between them being in a much better spot and them being in sort of a vulnerable position right now in terms of the playoffs. But I think clearly this is a very good team. And so we want to let make this podcast, this particular episode, less about you, less about us, excuse me, and more about you. So we said we would do this and I we want to follow through. We said we wanted to make this kind of a mailbag uh, episode. I solicited your questions yesterday and of course you guys, uh, you came through. So we're going to tackle some of those here. Um, I want to start, Zach, with um, here's an interesting question. Um, a lot of these questions, by the way, Zach and I just talked about this off uh, off the microphone. Uh, a lot of you are always thinking about next year, which I love. <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's like, here we are in the throes of a playoff race. And it's like, yeah, but next year. So here we go, right off the top. But next year. Um, this is an interesting one. This is from... Uh, J.P. Heimlich, something like that is his handle. Anyhow, he says, is it an okay idea to trust The Rock, Kenny Moore, and Isaiah Rogers trio at corner and not use a lot of cap space or higher pick on the position? The reason I, I use this question is because I think it has relevance to now because that position is very important. They're going to see some quarterbacks here down the stretch, guys like Derek Carr, Kyler Murray, obviously, and in the playoffs, right? I mean, if they started today, I think, what, aren't they going to like Kansas City if the playoffs started today or something? So yeah, I yeah. think Kansas City eventually gets the one seed, but right. Yeah, right. Exactly. But but the point is, you're, you're going to have to to deal with some passing attacks. So it, I think there's relevance to now, even though this question is about the future. Um, I think that cornerback position has played better of late, but what are your thoughts? How sustainable, Zach, do you think this is in the long term? Um, and just what have you learned you know, just from what we've seen right now? This is a good question. I'm not ready to say I love that group. And and I'm assuming the question kind of, you know, implies that Xavier Rhodes is not back next year. I would assume that he's not back next year. Right. It makes me a little uneasy. Now, that's not to say that Rock hasn't taken a big step forward this year. I think everybody agrees. I like Rodgers. He's going to make mistakes, but he's got a lot of speed and he's got sort of this, I don't want to lean into a cliche, but he's got this knack for making plays. We've seen that. I mean, watch him track that ball that Brady threw in the Bucks game. I mean, that was great play, and you just don't see that a lot from some of the other Colts corners. But it, it's almost like I, I don't want to say I love this group until you get a really good pass rush, right? And then mm. I kind of uh, I can live with it. Um, but you've watched the corners pretty closely this season. Where do you come down on this? Yeah, I think you. I think your last point is the most important one. I, I think the group that they have now, I think, would be a lot better with a, a more viable pass rush or more consistent pass rush. I think they have a viable pass rush, meaning it's kind of like, eh, meh, you know, it, it's, it's around sometimes. And then other times it's completely ineffective. So I, I think when you have that sort of scenario, uh, the, the cornerback play ebbs and flows because the pass rush ebbs and flows. <laughs> so I think they're, they're totally yeah. dependent on one another. Uh, now I, I agree with you. If you can, intensify that pass rush, then I think you you have something. Now, I think they have to do one or the other. And I think they either have to really uh, give a shot in the arm to their secondary, or they have to really find a solution on the edge that can really intensify that pass rush. Uh, it's hard to do both in a, in a really major way, obviously. I'm not saying you can't find some mid-level free agents. I mean, you can always do that. Uh, but to do it in a in a way that that really has a a really 
huge impact. That's hard to do in two spots. So I, I think really one or the other would make a big difference. So I, and I think a, it's pretty obvious which one they value more and which one they should value more. That right? is true. I mean, that is definitely it, true. It, Chris, Chris Bauer's approach to the cornerback position is much like Bill Polian's. It's it's not the most important thing on that yeah. defense. It's not even close. The, yeah, they, they see Kenny Moore, honestly, as their most important uh, cornerback. Yeah, there's no question about that. And in their scheme, there's there's merit to that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But like they figure, okay, if we can have sort of this Rondé Barber-like guy in the slot, and I think that's a guy who sort of redefined that position, uh, then the rest of those guys, they can just be kind of eh. And so that's that's definitely the approach they've taken, even though they did draft Rockius in the second round, and that suggests that there's some some importance there. I, I know that. But at, at the same time, corner is a premium position, and to get decent players, it's not like you can pick them in the fifth round. So that's the other side of that coin. Uh, but they they don't see they don't seem at least to have any urgency to like pick a corner in the first round. Not that they have a first round pick, but I'm just saying uh, I I've not seen that kind of urgency from the Colts. So we'll see. Um, it's a, it's an area to watch though, and I I, I do think the the good news is. They're getting more production out of those guys right now. And I think that bodes well for the long term. Um, all right. Here's a good question. This is from Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds, 86. is his handle on Twitter. He says, I'm a Reich fan, but the Colts, for various reasons, have a knack for starting slow and having to dig out of that 18, 20, 21 uh, dig out of that, excuse me. So he's talking 2018, 2020, 2021 to make a run at the playoffs. So his question, questions are as follows. One, do you think they'll pull it off again? And two, do you think roster stability, particularly at quarterback, will help this moving forward? Great question. And there's no question that <laughs> this has been a recurring theme now, right? I mean, there's no doubt about that. The, less so in 2020, right? I think they were... Yeah, they were three and one. They were three and one, right? So, but they did then. They did have some early season offensive struggles they had to work through. Like the the early season offense last year was kind of ugly, and then by the end of the season, it was like, oh, they're rolling. So, in that regard, I understand the the reference to 2020. Definitely 2018, one in five start, and certainly this year when they were one in four, if I'm not mistaken. So, I've wondered about this. Like, as much credit as we give Frank Reich for these furious finishes and and for the the in-season development that his teams have shown, which I think is critical, right? Teams should get better during the course of a season if you're doing it right. And that's a great thing. So that's definitely happened. At the same time, I've kind of wondered, like, dude, (laughs) what's up with the one in four and one in five starts, right? So I I think both things can be true. And I think there can be both frustration and also sort of um, satisfaction in pulling it together and, and making a late run. Uh, I'll answer the other question. Do I think they're going to make it? I, I think, yeah, I think they are going to make it. Um, I think they're playing really well. And I, I look at the teams they have to play. They got to get a split, in my opinion, between New England and Arizona. I think New England is the game they can win. Uh, I don't trust the Patriots fully. Um, I think they're very good in many ways. I I don't know if they can. I don't know if their offense or excuse me, their defense can completely shut down uh, the Colts' offense. Uh, that's proven really hard to do. And 
at the same time, can their offense then on the flip side, if the Colts do score, can their offense keep pace? Because they haven't had to do that for the most part. So, so we'll see. I, I, great matchup, though. I think you you laid it out perfectly. So I, I think that's really what it's going to boil down to. I think the Raiders are a team heading the wrong direction. I think they'll win at Jacksonville in Week 18. Uh, going out to Arizona is tough, but yeah, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as to whether you know whether I think roster stability will help this, I think probably because I think if you go back to 2018, I know this is a long-winded answer, but if you go back to 2018, there were issues there early in the season. Andrew Luck, no no real off-season work coming off that injury. The offense was a little out of sync early, and Andrew's shoulder really hadn't regained its strength. And I think once it did, boy, that really came into came into view. They also had two new schemes on both sides of the ball. So of course they weren't sharp. And then same thing this year for a different reason. They had just tons of injuries and they just didn't have it together. All their offensive line missed training camp. So yeah, they started slow. Uh, They're a different team right now. So I think it's, I think there are explanations for it. And I think when you look at it that way, it's not excusable, but it's understandable. So I don't know. I don't know if I left anything on the table for you there, Zach, but I think, you know, to to just piggyback on that, Ryan, I can promise you that the owner is asking the same question. He wants (laughs) to know why the hell his team is starting so slow. And I think it's a it's a combination of injuries and and the coaching. Like, let's not excuse the coaching early in the season. Um, There's nuance to it, right? Like the offensive line was really bad early and Carson wasn't right. And that's part of it. But there's no excuse for the defense playing as poorly as it did this year. And and. Finish the game in Baltimore, you know, finish the game against the Rams and it's a totally different season and you're playing for the one seed on Saturday night, which is wild. But I guarantee you that thought has run through Jim Irsay's mind. So it's a completely valid point. This team has started slow and and finished well. It's almost like Reich's career, right? I mean, he would like he would be the guy that's down 38 to three and lead this miracle comeback. It's great if you can pull it off, but it's a dangerous way to live. And I know Jim Mersey is asking that very same question. Why do we need to start one and four before making a playoff push? It just, you know, it puts everything in in December into such high stakes when you should really be playing for the one seed with your playoff fate very much more comfortable at this point. But yeah, I mean, it's they're playing better. That's the key right now. And that's what you want to see. I think you made a good point about does the team improve throughout the season? I didn't think that happened in 2019, for example, but but this year it's definitely happening. But man, they really put themselves behind the eight ball with that one and four start. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, so there was a question here I wanted to, uh, I definitely wanted to add. Okay, here it is. So wide receiver is a, is a spot that I've written about and, and we've both talked about. So let's, let's throw this one in there. Uh, Brandon Kelly, Brandon Kelly, 17, asked, how's the development going for Strawn and Patman along with the other young wide receivers? Obviously not seeing a lot of them on game day, but with Pascal and T.Y. contracts uh, expiring and only Pittman being really proven, there's a lot of playing time open for next year. I agree. And uh, I'll let you go first if you want, Zach. I mean, I have thoughts, but um, I think those young wide receivers, I, I think there's probably a reason they're not playing. But I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, this is a good question, and um, there's a couple things we should probably mention. Like, I know that everybody was getting hyped on Michael Strawn in the preseason. He had a great camp, and he made the team, but I remember something Mike Groh said. He's the receivers coach, and he said, look, with Frank's offense, it's a huge playbook, 
and they want every receiver to be able to play every position, the X, Y, and the Z, right? And that's why you don't see a lot of young receivers really do big things their first year with Frank Reich's offense because there's just so much on their playbook. Strawn didn't play football last year. And before that, he was playing for a Division II school, right? So it's a huge jump. And here's what Mike Gross said. He said, it's like going from sixth grade to advanced algebra. There's a lot there, right? There's a lot to make that jump. Strawn does not play special teams. And essentially, it's a redshirt year, right? The fact that he made the team tells you that they like him because they weren't willing to put him out there so some other team can grab him before they put him on the practice squad. Um, And you're seeing what Doolin is doing. Doolin's a guy who earned it on special teams just like Zach Pascal, proved he can play different positions and give you something in the passing game with his speed, and he's kind of taking those snaps ahead of Patman, ahead of Strong. I think it's going to be a fun training camp next year to see what these guys can do. But again, it's a position, it's almost like we say this every December, that's too thin for this time of the year. You're banking on a 31-year-old T.Y. Hilton to really be your number two right now, and and maybe T.Y. brings it the last couple of weeks of the season maybe he doesn't but um they've neglected to go big in free agency at that position and in a way it's biting them again and i think that's something that needs to change moving forward if you've got the money you got to give carson wentz another weapon that's where i stand on it at least yeah i I think it's a lot to expect these young receivers particularly guys from from small schools um or guys who didn't play a lot in college in the case of you know like a guy like Patman, for example, or in Strawn's case, it's really a lower level school. The coaching is not as refined, obviously. All of those factors. Uh, yeah. I think Mike One Crow quick thing on Patman. Right. Yeah. He played for Mike Leach, and, and basically they had three routes, right? It was such a simple playbook. That's not how it is with Reich's offense. There you go. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think one thing, and this is not a criticism of fans, it's just a reality, right? I mean, it, it's hard to appreciate what they are asking these guys to do when you're just watching it on TV. It's really hard to appreciate it. I think training camp gives us a really good, uh, I think, window into what all they have to do. Um, I think you see it when they do the position drills. It's things like, for example, like when they do routes on air, right? Zach and I see this during practice. When they do routes on air, so it's just Carson Wentz and the quarterbacks throwing to these receivers. And it looks like they're just playing catch, okay, with the naked eye. Now, what they're really doing is they're determining, okay, at what depth do you make this cut? And at, and depending on where the where the defensive back is, you know, what's what am I doing with this option route? What am I doing here? I mean, every single route has three or four things that you have to remember every single time you run a route. There, and it also can be dependent on what's happening defensively and all of these things. And the, you have to be in sync with the quarterback. So really what it boils down to is they have to trust you. And there's no shame in not knowing all of this right away. <laughs> okay, that, That's just a, a reality of being a young football player. Um, if you've played a lot and played at a high level or in a high level offense in college, you're going to be further along. Michael Pittman is a great example. All right, He, he played in a pro-style offense in college. No secret. He came into the NFL and played like he had played in a pro-style offense, right? And so it's just you're talking apples and oranges a lot of times with these guys. And so, and again, it boils down to can you trust them and can the quarterback trust them? And so that trust really is built in some of those situations that I'm talking about in practice. And if 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 you're not able to do it there, there's no way you can expect the quarterback to trust you on game day. It doesn't mean the guy's a bum. It doesn't mean these guys won't develop. It just means it takes time. 
So I just think that's just a reality of the situation. And I don't think we should make judgments on these guys because that's just kind of how it is. So no shame in that. Um, so here's a changing gears. Here's a good question. And I think this actually has some future ramifications that we can talk about. This is from Ian Palmer. Zach, he says, how has Quentin Nelson's health been trend? How has Quentin Nelson's health been trending? Seems like he has been fighting through injuries all year. Okay, obviously, if you're paying close attention, you know he has been hurt most of the year. He's had how many surgeries has he had now this year? He's had three, three. four. Okay, so yeah, <laughs> he's been fighting some injuries. I think this is an important question because here, this guy is a cornerstone of the team. This back issue in particular is what concerns me uh, in the long term, not just the short term. I don't know if it's a, if it's a long term thing. But I know he's been dealing with it for a while. So I do think it's a good question. And I don't know that Ian even meant it this way. But I think it matters now and it matters in the future. I don't know the answer. I don't know whether this is a long-term concern. I do know it's a question. You know? And I yeah, think you're, absolutely. you're getting ready to sign him to a, a massive contract. $100 million. Um, it's a gazillion dollars. Did you see the video did you see the video of, of, of Quentin running down the field in the Texans game with that lead block when, when uh, Pittman had ridiculous. the, oh, the speed? <laughs> it was ridiculous. And also, ridiculous. my second question is, have you seen the pad he is wearing on his right ankle? It's like the size of one of those old school Game Boys. I've never seen a player play with a bigger pad on an ankle. Um, but I do want to get your thoughts on this, and I've been thinking about this over the bye. Quentin, I you know, I had to sit down with Quentin about a half an hour long, which is which is – as long as he'll sit and talk to anybody from the media. Um, and I asked him about his injury about 15 different ways, and he didn't want to go into it. That's just Quentin. Um, he is playing through a lot of pain. It's a high ankle sprain. Those things never really go away. And he's, he's, he's insisting that he gets on the field. Darius Leonard's doing the same thing. We've talked about that a lot. Those are the two guys that are essentially the backbone of your franchise moving forward. You can throw Taylor in there. That's fine. Buckner, I get that. Kenny Moore. But in Chris Ballard's office, he's got a a picture of Darius and Quentin celebrating. Those first two picks in that 2018 draft that really are the backbone of the new era, right? Think about what these guys are doing, right? They're playing through these really, really painful injuries. They're insisting on being on the field. And they've carried this team to where they are now in the playoffs with four games to go, which is remarkable where they were in late September. Um, I think that tells you about where this locker room's at and what these guys are about. And I'm totally with you on the back concerns moving forward. That's a that's a scary injury. I've been told it's not that serious. It's really just back spasms. It's just his back, you know, aggravating itself. And, and, and there's some pain. Um, he hasn't missed a lot of games. You know, he, he had the foot thing and he was back in two weeks in training camp, which is absurd. Um, I think, you know, I think Quentin and Darius, what they're doing is one of the underrated storylines of this team's turnaround this season. Maybe they're not playing at their all pro level, but they're pretty damn close. And for a lot of teams, I feel like these guys, it wouldn't be surprising on another team or another situation where these guys missed a lot more time, especially Darius. Darius hasn't missed a game. Um, those ankle injuries are really painful. And I think those two are kind of showing what they're made of this season. And I think in a couple of years when we look back, we'll be like, those guys playing through those injuries really told us something about how tough they are and what they're about. 
I think there's an added benefit, and you and I talked about this the other day when we were traveling back from Houston. The added benefit to those two guys showing up every day and putting it all on the line, because they are, is you better not complain if you're right. another guy in if that locker room. If you see those guys playing through what they're playing through, right? Right. It's like, oh, oh, you're hurt? Oh, really? Okay. How, Darius Leonard can barely walk. And that guy's out there putting it on the line and taking the ball away every single game. So congratulations, you're hurt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, easy for me to say, right? But I'm not in that locker room. And I'm just being honest. I think there is a, a peer pressure sort of um, element to this. Uh, I mean, obviously, if guys are legitimately injured, nobody's telling you you should go out there and like you know put your your future at risk. I am not talking about that. I'm talking about the requisite bumps and bruises that come in the NFL, and the things that kind of keep you out of practice, which then impact your ability to execute on game day. All of those kinds of things. I think there is a cumulative effect when you see. The, the highest paid guys, the most important guys on the roster are saying, and DeForest Buckner, I put him in there as well. I would put he's Carson done, Wentz in there as well. In, absolutely. In, in week three in Tennessee, playing on, you know, what, a half an ankle? I mean, he was in pain, right. man. Right. Whether whether he should have been out there is, is a different question. But the thing is, he did. He went out there and he gutted it out. And look, man, the bottom line is, you got guys putting it on the line. They're best players. They're most important players. And I think... You know, this goes to if you, if you ask Frank Reich about this, he would tell you it's because I would say, all right, the makeup of these guys is what is what sort of motivates them to do that. He would argue and agree with me, but he would argue that, well, we have those kinds of guys because those are the kinds of guys we target. There's truth to that. There is truth to that. Look, I, I'm not saying that there's nobody on the team that's selfish. I, I'm sure there's some guys in there who who might who others might portray as somewhat selfish. I don't know, but I don't see it for the most part. And I don't know whether that takes them to a Super Bowl or not. We'll see. But I can tell you, this is very deliberate. And I think um, it's not that guys who miss games are, are lesser necessarily, but there is something to the makeup of a guy that en- enables him to say, no, I'm going to play and I'm going to make this happen. And if you've ever met Quentin Nelson or Darius Leonard, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> right. And, as I'm sure Zach does after that uh, half an hour interrogation of <laughs> Quentin Nelson, where he probably told him nothing. So, no, I'm sure it's going to be good. So here's a good here's a good question I think that is relevant to now and later. Uh, this is from Rodeo Ron 78, which is a great handle. Rodeo Ron. He says, how do you evaluate the picks of Pay and Adengbo up to this point? I know you can never have enough pass rushers, but do you think the Colts will need uh, to do more heavy lifting or investment on the D-line? And what's the evaluation slash outlook for Banigou, Ture, and Lewis, uh, Taekwon Lewis? Good stuff. I think this is important because I think if they're going to finish strong, they're going to have to get something out of uh, both Quiddy Pay and Dio Adengbo. Now Adengbo, I'll I'll preface my comments by saying he's on a pitch count very clearly. They haven't said this, but he's very clearly on a pitch count. Uh, I don't know if he's played more than twenty snaps except in one game. That's deliberate, but I think he can have an impact as sort of a a, a player who plays in targeted situations. He's coming off an Achilles tear, so look, they're not going to overload that kid, and I think that's smart. Uh, I think. Quiddy Pay 
His numbers aren't going to be huge this year. He's not going to come out of this year with 12 sacks or anything. But I think he has affected the quarterback in the second half of the season. And at the end of the day, I don't care how many sacks you have necessarily. I think what they really care about is, are you affecting plays and affecting the quarterback and affecting the timing of plays, all of that. And and I think he's been doing that. I, I think he's showing that he's a, a smart player. He's using some counter moves against some of these offensive linemen. I think you're starting to see him understand how to set guys up a little bit better. And it's coming. It takes time. You know, patience. It takes a lot of patience with young players at positions like wide receiver, defensive end, places where you you have these one-on-one matchups where there's a lot of technique involved and all those things. That takes patience. And and I know the Colts don't have time necessarily, right? They got to win now. But at the same time, you as a fan have to look at it understanding that. But I think when looking at it in context, I really like what Quiddy Pay has given him. I think he has a chance to be the best of all these defensive ends they've drafted. He probably should be. He's a first-round pick. But I think at this point, I, I think he is off to the fastest start of all of these pass rushers they've drafted. And then I'll just address really quickly the the second part of that question. My view on the evaluation and outlook for, for Banigou, Ture, and Lewis is not very good. <laughs> that's that's being nice let's not be nice. yeah I, it, the shame of it is i think taekwon lewis was the guy i thought who had the best chance of returning now he's got this really serious knee injury i think a patellar oh, tendon tear that's brutal, a man. terrible injury i know and 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 making a huge play while while it happened too that takeaway against tennessee uh, i don't know what that does to his future i i think it does cloud it I think without that, I think they probably resign him. I know that Chris Ballard is high on, on Taekwon Lewis and thinks he's sort of a, I think, a, a poor man's version of Danico Autry, which is kind of a compliment. I think Autry is a great player. Um, so we'll see what happens. I think his his fate is determined by will be de- determined by the injury. As for the other two, Banigou and, and Ture, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't justify it. I, I just can't. Yeah, I'm not going to paint a rosy picture. The pass rush hasn't been good enough this year. That's the reality. We think everybody who's been watching this team knows that. I do like what Quiddy Pay's added. He's Like you said, he's affected the quarterback. And you can see signs of of his impact, right? It's not just him getting to the quarterback. It's it's Buckner not seeing as many double teams and being able to you know, get more sacks, more hits, more affections from his spot in the middle of the line. Grover Stewart, same thing. I do want to say Ture had two sacks against the Texans. I know the Texans are a JV team, but... When when Trey gets sacks, it seems like he gets them in bunches. And so don't rule him out. I think he's still got those elite traits, get off speed, length, that can make a play in a big spot in a big game if he stays on sides. I have to make that caveat. But look, I mean, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and I'll make this short, but this is the long-term play Ballard was willing to live with. I'm not saying I agree with it, and I'm not saying it was the right move to make, but he said in May, when we talked to him in the draft room, he said, look, I don't think we're going to see the real Dio Adengbo this year. So that's always been in the back yeah. of my mind. You guys have seen this. He's on a pitch count, like you said. Players with the Achilles, especially the get off the speed that they need to go at those offensive tackles, this is a redshirt year for him. The fact that he's playing, if he makes any plays, that's sort of an added bonus. But we're not going to see the real Dio until next year. And then with Cordy Pay, I mean, you're willing to live with a developmental year for a first-round pick. Now, yeah, it's great when he gets production, but he's not Dwight Freeney, who I think had 13 sacks as a rookie, who was just a monster. Um, 
I think that's the long-term gamble you make. You were willing to live with an adequate pass rush this year for hopes that it pays off in a big way down the line. And I think there's a lot of signs that it will with the Dengbo and Pei. But no, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm worried about the pass rush moving forward. It seems like every time they need a big play, they're just one sack short or one you know, quarterback rush short. Um, we'll see. You, you like what you've seen from Pay, but it's certainly not, you know, it, it's not one of the strong suits of this team. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, so let's go one more. And listen, you know, Zach, that we couldn't ask for questions and not expect someone to throw out an Andrew Luck question. <laughs> I was I was expecting questions about my uh, about my Venmo payments from Carson's. Uh, oh, there charity. there are actually. Yeah. Would you like me to include that? Well, we can do Let's two more. Do Let's it. just do this. Let's. All right, good. I'm glad you brought that up because I almost forgot. So before we get to that, let's get to the requisite Andrew Luck question. This one says, and I know the answer, and so do you. Are we getting an Andrew Luck appearance on Hard Knocks or what? This is from, <laughs> no this is from Los Colts. All right. So uh, uh, I'll let you go first, Zach. Will there be an Andrew Luck appearance on Hard Knocks? I never say never, but with Andrew Luck, I think I can say never. Um, he's been in the facility like since he's retired a couple of times. Um, I, I don't think he's been in there this season. I, I don't anticipate an Andrew Luck appearance. I think I think he's enjoying life away from the Colts right now. Yeah, for sure. Look, I think the bigger question with Andrew Luck is not like, will he be on hard knocks or will he come back to play? Obviously not. I think the bigger question, and you and Isaac have talked about this, is this. Does he even watch the games? Because <laughs> I'm not sure that he does. <laughs> I hope he didn't watch the Texans game because that was ugh, that was an ugly NFL football game. I think he he probably right. watches some of them. I mean, he's still yeah. I think he's I think he watches without being invested. Yeah, yeah. yeah Jack was sure. one of his best friends. Ty is one of his good friends. But they're you know those guys are in the later stages of their career, and and so you know Ty and Jack when those guys aren't on the team anymore. He doesn't have as much of a connection. And and obviously, Andrew wasn't a guy that went home and watched football when he played. You know, he wasn't a guy that was right. dying to watch football every week. So, Yeah, like like Andrew Luck never planned his life around watching football, I assure you. So, uh, so and, and also, just the fact that the fact that he goes to great lengths to avoid any form of media <laughs> tells you you will not <laughs> be seeing him on Hard Knocks. Okay. All right. So, uh so Nick M, uh, I'm sorry, Nick MC is uh, the username here. He actually uh, fulfilled your wish and, and asked that question. So Zach, you were uh, this. You wrote this story about Carson Wentz. What a couple weeks ago, right? Um, about it entailed a lot of how things ended in Philly, or just you know how Carson felt about all of those things and and the experience. Obviously, I mean, we all know what what. That was, but I think it was good that Carson finally talked a little more about it because we haven't really had the chance to do a lot of that with him. So, anyhow, Carson gave his his answers, his feedback, his thoughts. That's what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to tell how people feel and and let them share their sentiments. I mean, we're we're a conduit, right? So Zach did his job and he got murdered for it on Philadelphia radio. Yeah, by um. What's this guy's name? I don't even know. John Kincaid? Is that his name? Sure. Um, anyway, whatever. It doesn't matter. And uh, he's basically accused you, Zach, of, and Nick 
MC makes reference to this. He says he wants your response. And I think we should give you a chance to respond because there's a very a, a very harsh accusation made against you, Zach, about maybe uh, being a PR agent for Carson Wentz and perhaps even taking a payment <laughs> to, yeah. to give this PR expertise of yours. Um, Zach, I think this deserves a response. What do you think? I was at um, Christmas lights at Newfields with my girls on Saturday night, and all of a sudden, Twitter starts blowing up because I had been attacked by the <laughs> Skip Bayless of Philadelphia Radio. Um, there's a lot of things I should probably say. One, um, you guys can check my Venmos. It's a lot of payments to babysitters is, is mostly my Venmo account right now. Um, Mine is uh, dog groomers. Yeah, there you go. I mean, that's what yeah. everyone's... Um, Right. And to suggest that I took payments from a non-profit charity that serves the homeless is is absurd. <laughs> that was kind of low, actually. That that was really low. Like, dude, you don't have to go there. Like, the, the comments on the story are pretty wild. I will say this about the story. I knew there was going to be a lot of blowback, and I understand that. Mm -hmm. The point of the story was Carson hasn't talked about any of this stuff. He hasn't opened up about anything. And I wanted to know what it was like when he was benched. I wanted to know what he was going through his head in January when he didn't know if he was going to be traded. And I wanted his perspective on the last 12 months. That's what the point of the story was. And this is too complicated for this idiot in Philadelphia to understand, but <laughs> I'm not a columnist and this isn't an opinion piece. This is Carson Wentz perspective on the last 12 months. You can disagree. You can hate on Carson. If you're supporting the Eagles, that's fine. And I knew there would be both sides of it. Right. But, um, I think this guy's I don't think he's intelligent enough to understand that I'm not a columnist and I'm not weighing in with my opinion. I'm presenting what the player has said about his perspective. And that was the point of the story. Um, I, I think it's pretty simple. Um, and I don't know. I, I think it's it's a reflection of of kind of what Carson talked about in the story is just Philadelphia is a little bit different and they pride themselves on being a tough media market. I'm not really sure what that gets you, but um what a what a strange response and it's almost like the ex-girlfriend like they just can't quit Carson Wentz he's moved on they haven't he's played pretty well I don't think he's been great for the Colts but he's been pretty dang good but um yeah that was I was um I didn't I didn't see that coming <laughs> well I would just say this to Eagles fans look enjoy your first round pick it's definitely coming and look I mean Carson's gone on with his life. You can go on with yours. I, I really don't understand it. I mean, look, I think we can I was looking for examples with Indianapolis. Like who are the who are the athletes where Indianapolis fans have this sort of vitriol for? The the number one guy who comes to mind is obviously Paul George, right? But I don't see the same obsession no, with Paul George that I see with Carson Wentz. And and I get that that the the history is a little different. Obviously, the Pacers never went to the finals with Paul George, or and there wasn't that you know that whole Nick Foles angle that they had in Philly. I mean, there was a lot, right? A lot happened. I get that, but still, like there was there was a lot of hatred toward Paul George at the end, and people were like they were done with him, right? They were like, get the hell out of town. They couldn't wait to. They would help him pack his bags, right? And yet. I don't really get that from fans about Paul George. It's kind of like, eh, I don't really think he's even on their minds. 
So it's kind of interesting, maybe more so when it was more fresh, maybe, I guess, but I just, I never felt there was the same level of obsession. So I, I guess what I'm saying is I, I can't find a comparable situation, at least in, in my time in this market or even in other markets. It's just really, yeah, really and, and And look, like I totally understand if the Eagles fans, and I've seen both sides of it, right? I've seen Eagles fans that are like, look, it was a toxic situation in Philadelphia. Yeah. I don't blame him for wanting out. But I also can see the other side where it's like, well, they drafted Jalen Hurts and he never really responded well to that. He played like crap last year and then he asked for a trade. Like, I get it. I'm, if I'm an Eagles fan, yeah. I'm mad too. So I just wanted the player's perspective. That's sort of my job, right? He hadn't talked about any of this. And I will add, when I talked to him, it was about a 20, 25-minute conversation. Honestly, when I was done with him, I was a little frustrated that he wouldn't go further that he wouldn't mm-hmm. elaborate a little bit more with his answers. And I tried a bunch of different ways, but he's a quarterback and he's really polished and he wouldn't really give me the details that I was kind of hoping for. But he did open up in ways he hasn't before about what he was thinking on that sideline when he was benched. You know, he did confirm that he asked for a trade, all that stuff. I wanted to present the quarterback's perspective on a crazy 12 months. And then the rea- the, the reaction was what it was. But um, certainly it's just a fascinating thing how – how much response and vitriol we get from Philadelphia fans who are still very much following Carson Wentz. Yeah, and I'll just, one really, really quick comment and then we'll get out of here. Uh, I, I think this idea, I, I kind of hate this as somebody who's been doing this for like almost 25 years. I, I hate this whole uh, idea that, oh, well, this is a tough media market and this isn't or that. Okay, first of all, I've worked in different markets and know from south florida right I, I i made my bones working at the miami herald in south florida right and trust me like there were you would wake up some mornings and read columns down there and be like whoa boy okay like somebody there was just a murder right in in my morning paper uh so like this idea that like, i don't even i don't i didn't even like really come from indianapolis necessarily where i learned to do this but my point is that a lot of us in this industry have worked in all different places, but even if you haven't, Zach, you you were born and raised here, but that doesn't even really have anything to do with anything. I just think it's really just a, it's just a form of, or it's just a product of the commentary, I think, that yeah. is produced in certain cities. The reporting is basically the same everywhere. Uh, we have colleagues who cover the Eagles. They do their job exactly the way we do our jobs. You know, they're reporters. And I think reporting is the same pretty much everywhere. The only real difference is the commentary you get and how sharp it is. Right. So that may differ from city to city, because obviously, if you work for the New York Daily News, you're probably going to have a different point of view than someone who works um, for the Columbus, Ohio newspaper. Right. Because they're just different towns. The perspective is going to be different. The commentary that you get is going to be different. But the reporting should be the same. We're reporters. That's what it is. So I hope that helps. It's an invention of lazy radio hosts who have nothing better to talk (laughs) about, who want to sound important. Let's just call it what it is. Yeah. And you can extrapolate that to other cities, including our own. I'll leave it at that. Uh, all right. Well, Zach, uh, you and your Venmo, I'll let you go and uh, <laughs> let you go spend all your money. And uh, hope you enjoy that. Um, but hey, guys, we got a big week coming up. I think there's going to be some great stuff on the site this week. Um, I'm looking into uh, Jonathan Taylor's case 
for MVP, which I think is worth exploring. I don't know that he wins, but I think it's worth talking about and looking at uh, some of the history of running backs who have won, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, and I know Bob Kravitz got something he's working on that I think you'll want to read as well. So, uh, and Zach, you've got what? I've got a look at what I think is the most important or the interesting storyline this week is, is right versus Belichick. It's just going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. That's right. You did say that. All right. So that's it, man. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. I'm Stephen Holder with Zach Kiefer. Uh, we appreciate all of you. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week with another episode of 1% Better. Better.